uh, we will start with Elizabeth A. Povinelli, um, who will present struggles and practices of her friends and colleagues or family uh, called the Carabing Film Collective in the toxic excrement of settler late liberalism. The question she poses is how to keep in existence the Carabing's forms of existence. Elizabeth Povinelli is anthropologist and filmmaker. She is Franz Bose Professor of Anthropology at Columbia University in New York, corresponding fellow of the Australian Academy of Humanities, and a founding member of the Carabing Film Collective. She is author of five books, including the most recent, Geontologies, A Requiem to Late Liberalism, in 2016, uh, from 2016, in which she presents a re-theorization of power from the perspective of indigenous Australian communities against the settler state. Povinelli lives and works in New York City and Darwin, Australia. And Karabing films have, um, have been shown at uh, various uh, institutions and various festivals such as State Modern Berlinale, um, Contour Biennale and so on. Um, we have also screened two films on Friday here in the Red Room, When the Dogs talk, Talked and the Mermaids uh, or Aiden in Wonderland. And I hope we can also talk about those two in the, in the, in the conversation later. Um, okay, before I give the stage to Elizabeth Povinelli, I will also invite you to read her fantastic essay in the book uh, called The Sounds of Toxicity, the Stubbornness of Survivance. Elizabeth. We had a great session this morning, or many of us were the witnesses um, in a great session this morning. Uh, so we suffer in the wake. Um, let, me, let me start with a uh, stark contrast <laughs> to what many of us recognize as the current artistic research interest in art collectives. That is Adorno's complex reflections on modern art as a genius but doomed attempt to produce an aesthetic enclosure, a formal autonomy turned against the stultifying organization of social power. So in his you know, infamous phrase, modern art as the social antithesis to society. I'm going to say something that was, I hear was said yesterday, which is, I don't really know why I put the Medusa up there. <laughs> The artist and his thing, the genius and his doom, but disclosive work into which the rest of us stare, stunned, or listening, pithed at the precise and pure dialectic import of the form and content of his work. What could be more different from our current interests and practices of collectivity and artistic research than this model of modern art. To claim a difference between that which circulates around this kind of Adorno imagery of artistic autonomy and our, say, my, our interest in artistic collectivity is not, however, to actually describe what the, con what the difference consists of and how, in being different, it might alter our ideas about artistic about the artistic or the political, or artistics and politics. For instance, I might use the term or terms collective and collaborative art practices, or I should say, should we use the terms collective and collaborative art practices interchangeably? Like, why do we say collective, not collaborative? I myself might say that Karbing 
is a collective that does different kinds of things, including filmmaking, but also building out stations, hunting, rebuilding cars, and that has collaboratively worked with a number of amazing curators, some of whom are here. In this case, my use of collective and collaborative seems to differentiate the karabing as one sort of thing, engage in a certain mode of activity, and the curators we work with, and maybe their institutions, as another sort of thing or mode of activity. Two things that join together to hopefully do something interesting to make a difference. So why do I think collective is the right term to use for the karabing? And I should say that although we now are called the karabing collective or karabing film collective, it's not actually what we say we are. We say in Creole, and I'll come back to this, that we're mebla, karabing mob, we say, karabing mob. As a matter of fact, when we first use what you know, people would say, you know, what to put on the piece of paper, we'd say, karabing uh, film collective. I said, what about collective, you guys? They're like, it's not a sound that Creole makes easily. Collective, all right, mob. So why do I think karabing might be described correctly as collective? Now, we could go to Donna Haraway, and an answer she might have proposed, she did propose over 30 years ago in her essay, Well-Known Situated Knowledges. There, Haraway proposed to found a feminist science, unquote, an earth-wide network of connections, including the ability partially to translate knowledge among very different empowered differentiated communities. And we know, and we return to a bit of the discussion earlier, that Haraway herself came up with this image of what she would later call symbiosis from Octavia Butler and her Octavia Butler's notion of collectivities, certain kind, certain model of collectivity in which the inside and the outside are turned or folded onto one another. Thus a feminist and critical race science fiction maybe would work to map the networks of knowledge in order to understand how meanings and bodies are made so, but not just to do that. We're not, why, not just in and of it for itself, but so as to understand the different strains and differential extractions and deformations caused by what, you know, I call late liberalism, we could call late settler colonialism, et cetera. How is it that some spaces of collectivity-ishness, of interconnectedness, have more endurance and more power to force affects? And here, of course, aesthetics, as we know, becomes part of a much broader question of ascesis that we usually refer, when we refer to ascesis, to Michel Foucault's work, and more particularly to his question about, you know, why can't life be a work of art? But also, of course, again, earlier when we referred to Mark Fisher and his work in K-Punk, et cetera, how it is that one can live other than in the form and modes that are demanded of us to make our life something other than what is demanded that our life be. Now, for indigenous, black, American, and other subaltern and colonized people, a somewhat different question emerges. That is, 
and it emerges, I should say, after the end. That is what Anjali said this morning about uh, in the conversation, last conversation about if you lived after the end, if you lived after so many catastrophes, colonialism and et cetera. For them, a, a more complex doubleness emerges in this question of collectivity. That is how to remain what one is trying stubbornly to remain as, even as one refuses to be what is demanded of them as a condition of even the most minimal survival. So how not to be what the government demands of you, even if the refusal to do so means a reduction of what is already reduced. That is, the question is one that Gerald Visner called question of survivance. Or what W.E. Du Bois meant when he pointed to Belgium and Brussels in particular and argued that it wasn't in a relation, it's not Brussels and the Congo, but rather that Brussels itself, in an Octavian Butler sense, its inside is external to it. It's external in a particular way in the way in which it, the Congo was viciously extracted and deformed. Thus, uh, so it's not just in the museum. Now situated knowledge is, I'm gonna have to do one of these things I hate doing. Okay. Thus if Collectivity is a knot. It's not a series of knots that are equal to each other, but it's a form of knotting in which certain spaces are able to control both the scale and circulation of the form of being in those knots. It's a way of thinking about collectivities that doesn't already turn them into semi-autonomous works of ascesis or aesthetics. And it's these questions of, whoops, let me get back so we can do this correctly, okay. Thus, Haraway, Butler, not Judy, Octavia, W.E. Du Bois and others, are major precursors, thinkers, to what we can call, and I've been calling the four axioms of contemporary critical theoretical practice, and which I think also conforms to contemporary artistic research. The first axiom is, of course, the extimacy of existence or entangled existence, thus those knots we saw, in which things are not entangled like object A, object B, and strings that tie them together, but rather, as we were saying this morning, or as Kojo was saying, and others have said, is that the very conditions of one's existence, even as a hereish kind of notish kind of thing, is outside oneself. But this isn't sufficient. It's not interesting in and of itself. I don't think so. What makes it interesting is the second axiom. Even though notice we're going in this, we're going from one to two, what makes one interesting is number two, that is, the unequal distribution of the effects of power to not or unnot, and the power to affect a given train of existence. So the ability of where you are as this complex knotting to affect what's 
being pulling you apart or holding you together. Thus, although, of course, we can't say this work of art and that work of art and this collective and that collective, we have to say here-ish in the condition of these scales and forms of circulation. And within this complex, more complex system of scale and circulation, force, straining, maintaining survivance, we all, I think, basically, maybe, maybe we don't, so I should say many people agree that what we're now witnessing in critical theory is the multiplicity of the event and the collapse of the event as such. That is, the issue is not just the old big political event that changes in revolutionary times and resets in which one can have the fidelity of the event, right, or the infidelity of the event. You can be on Deleuze or Badu's side, I don't care. But the, the focus was on that which shatters and re-territorializes. And instead, many of us, many have been arguing for a very long time that it's quasi-events of the poor, of racism, of settler colonialism that set the conditions by which those who are not of extraction are more or less able to keep themselves in place. That is, the forces of straining are such and so ongoing, some of which kind of has quasi-event-like forms, but some is just, just a strain, just the low hum of strain that decapacita decapacitates the ability to keep oneself knotted. And this, of course, all of these, one, two, and three, are important because of politics that emerges from decolonizing methodologies, anti-colonialism, critical race theory, critical queer theory, et cetera, in which we argue that the Western, that Western ontologies and epistemologies should be provincialized. And thus it's taken for granted disciplines of embodied distinction and hierarchy, or what I call gianto power, should on the one hand, should be provincialized, and on the other hand, continue to have a grip on how other spaces think, embody, sense, create, form, content, and import. Now again, in certain regions of critical theory, and maybe even artistic practice, these axioms are read from one to four. That is, they're read as if they're an encompassing logic that in which one has to begin with the ontological claim that existence is entangled, that leads to the second, that leads to the third, that leads to the fourth. But Cotterbing would argue, and I would argue, both as and separate from, that those knots, those communities, those collectivities that have emerged what we could, what not, that are not looking at the end coming toward them, but see the end as racing from behind and in front at the same time. That the only reason the first axiom is even interesting is because of the second, because of the third, because of the fourth. 
And here, if we start, say, in the fourth, the provincial nature the, of Western ontologies and epistemologies, even as those continue to have a governing force in scale and circulation, then we return to the question of collectivity in the way we usually do and say collectivities, but not simply in a pluralistic, floaty way, but rather that all collectivities, all collectives, certainly all, I think, artistic research collectives, reflect in their specific form and content and practice the specific space and way and insight in these systems of knotted extraction, deformation, and maintenance. That is, there's not a collective, there's not an idea of the collective that we need, not a concept, a new, like a, a new concept that would explain everything equally, no matter where you were. That's not a concept. Rather, we need something, we need to think about maybe collectivity or maybe nodding from here, here-ish, that does one, two things at the same time. On the one hand, shows the way of forces of deformation, or axiom two and three and four, course through here-ish. And the other sense, and so, you know, oh, wow, it courses through over here in this way, and you, 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 you go to a space, you learn about other collectives, and it's interesting. It's like, oh, it courses through there in that way. It's kind of, you can see why it would be kind of, kind of similar, kind of different because of the specific way in which it's coursing through, and on the same time, open to the specificities of what collectivity means for the knot that is both trying to remain what it is and refuse what it's demanded to be, and thus the cotabing. I guess a few facts, facts. <laughs> um, so the collective is composed of about 30 to 70 people. We always say 30. We go around the world saying 30, like people ask 30. But um, uh, a daughter-in-law, we were going to take a barge out to, to we recycle money, and we're going to take a barge out to get younger kids to country far out. And so we were trying to figure out how many people. And a daughter-in-law of mine said, do you know how many people are in Cotterbing? I said, 30. She said, no, 70. I was like, we need a lot more money. <laughs> so there's, I don't know what, nobody really knows. We don't keep track. So between 30 and 70, um, with ages from 2 to 60, all of whom are indigenous except me, all of whom are related through marriage, friendship, and kinship. Cotterbing emerged in 2007 to 9. We're not precise about things. When the people other than myself, who would become Cotterbing but weren't yet, were living in tents at the edge of Anson Bay, which is in northern Australia. At this point, we had known each other and grown up together for some 23 years. And at that point, those, uh, those living in these tents had seven different what we call dolk or tetawin. But when we're in publics like this, everyone's um, been using the term totem. So now I use the term totem. So different totem groups. That is, different families that come from ancestral presences on the land. These, if you, you know, Linda Yerwin often says, 
that we know where those ancestral presences are, what they look like. There, there's something there you can see. If you go there, you see it. We know who comes from those places, and we know what you're supposed to do there. We also know how those places are related to other places through stories, practices, rituals, etc. Sweat, uh, Rex Edmonds, really important, the way in which these places sense and react. But the people in the tents were people in tents because the community they had been living in, this small indigenous community called Bellion, had been under a land claim. And in this land claim, the government, the government said that the way in which traditional, and notice it's a government saying on the back of conservative but anthropological models, that traditional indigenous society, i.e. before white people came, if we, you know, let's erase all the damages of white people and then say white people tell you what you were beforehand. Beforehand, land, indigenous land was governed by one descent, what it's called a descent group, but we'd say dulk, for one piece of land, right? Or as Rex Edmund says, what the government does, he says, oh, we recognize your traditional ways, so we're going to give every family, every little family, one little bit of land. This little family, that little bit of land, this little family, that little band, this little family, that little land. And that way, they can, mining companies, property development, and et cetera, can pick off people more easily. Karabing thus emerged, or did emerge. Remember, there are, there are about, I would say there are about 50 people who became homeless. And they became homeless because the government went to Bellevue and they said, one of you groups is owner here, everybody else is not an owner. And money, material, goods flow into those one little people and not into those other little people, inciting jealousy, inciting all sorts, right? And so a riot happened, and about 50 people left who would become Katabing and were living in tents on the edge of Anson Bay. For the Katabing, well, who would become the Katabing, I should say, for those people living in those tents, it was clear that a form of autonomous sovereignty was a means of clipping connections that for them were vital to any understanding of what we would call collectivity. But in there, what's important is the particular way, I think, that they understand the difference that Cotterbeing makes. So let me try and deepen this a little bit by going to Rex Edmonds' Dreaming Muddy, or a bear Monday, which is a fish. This is from The Jealous One. So Rex, when we're often on stage together, and I'm not the only one standing here, will say, like, we're trying to explain what a totem or dreaming is, and you'll say, like, for me, I'm, I'm muddy or bare muddy. And I know where it is. It's on, the, it's on the top of this little point called Mabaluk, or Cape Ford, if you're white, in Anson Bay. And I pick it up through my father and my father and his father and his father and his father. And my kids pick it up for me. I belong to it and have obligations to it. It is my own own dreaming, my own dreaming. But he will also say that that, that Bear Monday came from somewhere else, right? And we know where it came from. It came from this place called Bonawadangalgen, where there were two Bear Monday, 
and they were circling, and we believed that we were sisters. One bare Monday, went up a creek, created the creek, went up that creek, and turned into a freshwater bare Monday. His bare Monday headed to Mobilook and became a saltwater bare Monday. That is, his Roan Roan bare Monday, his own dreaming, is in its very nature from somewhere else and in something else, just like the freshwater one is. And there's no way of taking care of his dreaming without originally taking care of the other one. The nothing sits in and of itself. Everything is always related to a form of movement and nodding and connectivity, an extent of which you, you know, you know kind of it came from here, but we don't know all the places it went. And we also know that it's not an event that just happened, right? And then there's two, there are these two places, but rather that Barramundi itself must struggle to keep in its place. It's a reef, right? So if it's going to keep in its shape, then Rex and others who have this dreaming have to keep it in shape. And if it gets deformed from shape, then Rex and others who have this dreaming will also be deformed. And it's exactly this, inter so, so I should say, so Cotterbing works on two, what Linda Yerwin calls two principles, Rhone Rhone and connected. So this is her, one's own dreaming and if you want, though I wouldn't do it, an ontological, the kind of ontology of connected relationships, the inside-outside of a Butlerian understanding of existence. This is the conditions for the kind of collectivity and kind of practices that Cotterbing participates in. It participates in a kind of practice that does two things. On the one hand, it tries to keep in place by the practice itself this dual form of Rhone Rhone. Like I'm particular, I'm here, but the condition of me being here, being this, is inside the particularity of your condition being like that. And therefore, I need to keep you in place so I can keep in place. That is, Rhone, Rhone, and connected. But they do so under very specifically understood conditions of governance, i.e. axiom number four and two, that their ability to be Rhone, Rhone, and connected, that is, if I'm going to stay in place, you need to stay in place, that needs to stay in place, that needs to stay in place, is itself being disrupted, deformed, stressed beyond strain by the governance of Gianto power or late settler liberalism. One, of, one aspect of which is the severing of connectivity and reducing indigeneity to what is really a racist, heteroreproductive version of belongedness. I'm not sure if we should do ex exactly how we're connected later, or shall we go on? Do I have 
Where am I in this hole? <laughs> Ten-ish minutes is more than enough. Okay. Yeah. Ten so, so, so I thought I would just end by saying, okay, so if this is, if this is the desire, that is to, to, not, to not not be, uh, to not not be autonomous, to be roan roan differently, to be one's own while understanding to be one's own is in obligation to keeping others in their ownness. How do we do this as a collectivity? That is, how do we practice this for this way of I'm not sure collectivity, this way of mutually obligated nodding in the condition of late liberalism, late geontological liberalism, late capital liberalism, you know, many ways we can talk about this, but how do we do this? Because it's not in some abstract way and floating way, it's in the actual conditions of the world, which is what our films do. Like, how do you keep the dog story going when, when even your kids, generationally, first look at the marks left by the dog and say, it makes no sense that dogs were big things with fingers that could talk. How do you do that? Or mermaids who never left, but now must continue being a mermaid in this near future in which the world has been made toxic by white people. How do you do it? How do you do art in those conditions? Or what are we trying to do when we do art in those conditions? And I think the, the, the overall metaphor that we use for what an artistic practice is and maybe what an artistic object is, I don't know, is the metaphor we use is bait. We're trying to get multiple forms of existence to bite the hook. Now, I often also talk about this in terms of MacGuffin, um, but I but we 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 use the term bait because we you know everybody hunts right. How do you get multiple agencies, multiple forms of existence to bite? And those of you who don't I don't know don't hunt or fish. Like we fish with those lines that you go, fish, 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 whir, plop, and then you hold it. Ever done that? No. You just toof, toof. Okay. Well, this one, and then you hold it. So it's a thing. If, if a, too big of a fish bites, there goes your finger. Zip. And we all have scars from, like, we know from too big of a fish. Thus, for us, bait, that is the collect, kind of collectivities we know we are, the bait, the, sorry, the fish we want to hook are within that knot. On the one hand are the younger kids, some of the same age, who we're trying to bait into learning, keeping in place, understanding, knowing, caring about, even if it's just in an argument form, about the ongoing ancestral present. So that's what we're trying to do. And they've been very effective at doing that. We're trying to transfix their senses and practices so that while they're doing something else, i.e. making film, making art, installations, they are nevertheless compelled by these ancestral presences. On the other hand, we are trying 
to hook larger institutions so that when they bite, resources are pulled, they're pulled, well, that's the thing about bait, right? It's like, which way is it being pulled? Like, we have the hook and we're trying to pull it that way and institutions are trying to pull it that way. Under axiom two, unequal relations of force. So again, as a practice, how do we bait it so that we can get institutional interest, they bite, but they don't rip our finger off. At the same time, we're getting generational bites so that that ancestral presence archive isn't in, you know, isn't in a library, it's not in a, it's not in a museum, it's in their bodies. Then the question, I have these two fish biting hooks here in my, because I have a pen so I can write on this. So then the question is, if we understand collectivity in this way of, of axiom two, the unequal distribution of power to affect and be affected by. Number three, the little events, so we don't notice, but while we're not noticing, we're, we're getting pulled rather than pulling in the big fish, takes a very specific form of organization and financing. And I'm going to end with this because it's practical. And when we talk about collectivities and we talk about unequal distribution of force and power, we often leave it at the level of, you know, at that, the kind of abstract, that's what, how it is and all that. But how do you make it work, even for a little while? And so I'm going to end by but describing actually how we What's the economy in which this knot works so as to try and thicken itself and be more determinative of the scale and flows of circulation in which it is? And this is how it works. The money to make films, money to, well, installation's a little different, and we try and suck that out of, but our installations, we tell everyone to just get junk, and we'll make it out of junk, or we go get junk, and we make our installations out of used stuff, since that's what we know. But the financing for films comes from this part of the Cotabing knot. Why? Because the Cotabing is not all one thing. Even within the indigenous knotting of Cotabing are differences, so and if you see our film, Saltwater Dreams, or Wuthar Saltwater Dreams, it it's begins and moves on the basis of an argument within the Cotabing about what broke down a boat. Was it the ancestors who were jealous and so punishing those of us on the boat? Was it the Lord who was testing our faith? Or was it our own like lazy ass, don't ever keep up maintenance of boat, and so it just rusted away. So the whole film pivots on the fact that not everybody in Cotterbing is the same. There are arguments that make a difference, like that's fine. And then there's the non-indigenous member. And because of the way I'm knotted in Cotterbing, but knotted differentially from indigenous Cotterbing to these scales and circulations, my money is not my money, and we all know that. So recycle. The money we make goes into a general pot in which it's used to build relations to country. Those barges to get to the other side that revealed that there's 70 of us and not 30. 
rituals that you need stuff for and thus you need petrol. Generational connections that we do. Right? So collectives can't simply be a theory of these forms of differential knotting within scales of force and demands on forms if you're going to circulate. They have to be actual practices of what I think Audubon and Conga mean by counterflows. And in that sense, we get down and we get dirty. Thank you. <laughs>